0: If you have it, or if you're not reading along with us to Colossians chapter 1. I must say, I, I do like the chatter and the friendship and the talking. It's, that's good, good Christianity. Amen? Amen? Open up to Colossians chapter 1. I will read to verse 8, and then I will go to chapter 2 and read just verse 4. Of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at uh, Colosseum, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a minister, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Chapter 2. Just verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Let's pray. Father, like always, we come before you. We humble ourselves before you and before your word, God. We ask you to open up our hearts, open up our minds, give us understanding. Let us see what was going on 2,000 years ago. Let us see it clearly, oh God. And let us recognize how much our life today, our daily day-to-day, moment-to-moment life is so dependent on what's in this book, Father God, that the truth that's eternalized in this book, Father God, is food for our soul. We need it today as much as the Colossians needed it 2,000 years ago, Father God. Let us feast upon the word we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Titled Christ, the All Sufficient Savior, or the All Sufficient Savior Christ, or the All Sufficient Christ. We will go through the book of Colossians over the next several months. Uh, we want to have, and we do have, a very high view of Jesus Christ. It's called Christology, it's the study of the person and the work of Christ, who he was. Uh, even before the Old Testament ever came into being, Christ was always pre existent. He was always eternal. He created all things, he knows all things, all things were created by him through him and for him. We want everything there is to be known about Christ to be the foundation of this ministry amen, amen. and our desire and I believe we 've always operated under this that Christ is the only foundation, and we want to have a high and exalted understanding of who christ is it's only then can our lives be straightened out it really lies in the person and the work of christ not gimmicks not emotions not manipulations if we want to change and honor god in our life it's only going to be a reflection of what we know and obey jesus christ that's it and that's why we want to study this book The book of Colossians offers believers today the same thing it offered believers 2,000 years ago, and that's power. And that's something I think every believer knows they need. They need power. They might not recognize what that power is. It might be a moral power. It might be a spiritual power. It might be understanding. It might be wisdom in the ways of God. But the Bible offers it these scriptures this book offers this to us it offers this power that's part of knowledge and understanding and wisdom in the will of God and that's what this book about this book is about the will of God it's about the will of God the will of God and the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ to be saved by Christ and to be strong in Christ I think we can agree on what two different things The Colossians church was saved by Christ. There was no change in this, but they were not strong. There was someone deluding them and deceiving them with empty deceit and empty philosophies. They were starving for strength. They were starving for full knowledge, Paul says, a full knowledge in the will of God. He was praying for that. They were lacking that. When a Christian or a church is starving for the full knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done for us, there will always be some type of trouble. They were starving for this full knowledge. A knowledge of the supremacy of Jesus over all creations, whether things seen or things unseen understanding of what Christ has fully accomplished at the cross for them. And the wisdom that Paul talks about is the marrying of knowledge and the marrying of understanding in the bond of application. It's taken this knowledge. It's taken this understanding of what Christ has done and who Christ is and it marries in how we live our life as we apply this truth, this understanding and knowledge into our life. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Along with the understanding of what he has personally accomplished at the cross. As we go through this letter, you'll be shocked to find out that you can be saved and fully not understand what Christ has saved you from or what Christ has saved you for and how we ought to live with our eyes above and not below. This is not just head knowledge. This is not a lecture. It's not a classroom. This is a personal knowledge of Christ. It's intimate knowledge. It's heart to heart, eye to eye. It's concern for concern. It's loving what Jesus loves. It's hating what Jesus hates. It's Jesus personally coming into our life. This is not Jesus died for them or the whole world. I could ask you to fill in the blanks. If I said Humpty Dumpty fell off the... If I said Humpty Dumpty had a great, War. If I said Jesus Christ died for our? Sinnings. He died for the sins of the? War. You see, we can mimic and we can parrot that very easily. But salvation is when I can look at the cross and say, Jesus died personally for me. If he died for no one else in this world, he would have came here and shed his blood for me. That's intimacy. When we sing, I'm not singing just about Jesus died for all our sins. Of course I I, I know that and I believe that but when I come here, first and foremost I know Christ died for Brian Martin. Every stinking rotten act, deed word, intention, motive agenda I ever had contrary to the will and holiness of God, Christ fully satisfied the wrath of God on Brian Martin's behalf. If no other human being out of 15, 20, 30 billion people ever needed a savior and I did Jesus came and died for me and of course he did it for every one of us that's intimate knowledge for most of us who come out of some sort of orthodoxy most of the time it was Jesus died for the it was this ambiguous sort of abstract umbrella type of salvation but that day you get saved you realize he died for me because I needed that I was not good enough to go to heaven. I might have not thought I was good enough to go to heaven, but I didn't think I was bad enough to go to hell. And we live in that state of uh, suspended animation until God opens up our eyes and we realize that Christ died for me. My sins put Christ on that cross. That's intimate knowledge of God. That's Christianity. This series is birth from more prayer meetings we've been having on Jesus Christ. over the last probably six months, we've gone through a lot of this book and uh, lifted up Christ and, and we prayed that we be a, a church sat and we are I have no problem saying that' saturated with an understanding of Christ, that we're not here to tickle our feelings. we're not here to meet personal felt needs. we all have them. Please understand that we all hurt. We heard, I heard, you heard. As a pastor, I know a lot of the pains in this congregation. I know you're hurting. And I wish I could come here every Sunday and do a personal sermon for each and every one of us so we can all feel happy and feel close to God. I wish every song could be handpicked to meet your need. <laughs> Pastors do that. People will manipulate the pulpit and everything else to try to make people feel good. But I can't do that, but I tell you what, I'll give you something better. I'll give you Christ every time the book is opened up you hear Christ every time we sing you sing about Christ that is the answer to all our personal woes it's in there it's in there and that's the kind of church we want to be we pray about that Uh, it is the foundation of this church we want to be a church with a high view of Christ visible visible In our teaching and our preaching, the songs we choose to worship with, the way we pray, how we pray, our witnessing outside the church, our fellowship with each other, our marriages, our friendships, the way we work and we do work, the ministries, the the catalog of things I just spoke about and mentioned are all found in this book, this one four chapter book. It's all there. Everything I just mentioned. Marriage is represented. Worship songs are represented. Prayer is represented. Witnessing is represented. Fellowship amongst believers is represented. Friendships outside with non-believers is represented. How we work is represented. Our ministries are represented. Preaching and teaching, it's all represented. It all flows out of a right and proper high view of Christ that captures our hearts. It captures our minds. It captures our imaginations. But most of all, it captures our will. That's Paul's intention. It's an intravenous church. We're not the wow church. We're not the church you're going to come and hear, whoa, I was blown away. My life is changed and transformed the first two minutes I walked into the church. The glory of God filled the place and I'll never be the same again. No, we're not going to be that. We're an intravenous church. You know what intravenous is? You see people that need to be fed. You got this drip, probably some sugar, some glucose, or some other medication. It's drip. And it looks like it's not doing nothing. But you stay on that, you'll more than live, and you'll more than survive. It's just an illustration. It breaks down, it's an earthly illustration. It's just a metaphor. But that's what the truth does. The truth slowly administered to your soul week in and week out, day in, day out, one truth at a time, understand, will change your life and change your circumstances. It'll change the way you approach life. Maybe not change every circumstance, but it'll change every way you approach every circumstance. That's what truth does. Slowly but surely, it sets a man free. The reason is twofold: We believe this is normal Christianity. This is basic Christianity. This is the way every church ministry should operate. This is the standard that Paul and the New Testament teaches us on Christian ministry. We believe that. We believe it should be saturated with Christ. We stick to a very reformed confession of faith. And we believe that Jesus Christ is in every message, he's in every song, he's in every prayer. So that when you come through the door, it's nothing about you meeting Christ. Period. You don't want to meet the the charisma of a preacher. You don't want to meet the charisma of the worship team. You don't want to meet that one or this one or that. You won't want to meet Mrs. Prophet, Mr. Apostle. All you want to do is come in the door and meet Jesus Christ. That's it. That's a high view of Christ. The best we can do is preach and run and hide so you see Christ. Worship and run and hide so it's just you and Christ. And also, there is nothing new under the sun. Today is in the time of this writing. Christ is under attack. There's such a low view of Christ in the church, in the hearts of God's people. He's almost like dethroned Defrocked, uh, just the loss of power. In very subtle sort of ways, people and have chipped away at his kingship and his saviorhood, because that's what's happened in this book. That's why I bring it up. By an introduction of human philosophies and the traditions of men, that's what makes us right with God. That's what empowers us. Not just believing in Jesus, we sang it today. Only Jesus and you alone. That's it. All the power you need is in Jesus. I can't tell you to fast your way into the power. I can't tell you to give more money and you'll get the power. Just give me some seed money. I can't tell you that. There's nothing you can do but show up and meet Jesus. And he'll empower you. He'll forgive you, he'll transform you, he'll change you, he'll direct you, he'll encourage you, he'll sustain you and keep you until we go home. And that brings us into the body of our introduction tonight. Colossians was written to meet this very threat. As we read in chapter 2 verse 4, there were men that were coming in with a cunning philosophy and they were deluding, they were deceiving the people this begins in Acts 19. Poverty year is around 52 to 55 AD. Paul's on his third missionary journey. He preached in a major city called Ephesus. It was in Asia; it's, it's modern day Turkey. And for three years he preached and he taught Christ in a hostile environment. And God blessed his preaching mightily. As we can see just from just a a few verses of scripture, if we go to Acts 19, I will start in the 11th verse. We'll take a moment. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came and confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. The occult were being saved. He goes on to say, so that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that God's made with hands are not God's at all. It was in this fertile and faithful preaching atmosphere that a man, as we read, Epaphras, heard the gospel and he believed. He saw Paul, he heard the message and he believed, and, and, but his faith did not stop there. His faith traveled back to him and went back to his hometown of Colossia. And there he continued to speak about Christ and the gospel. And guess what happened? God honored his witness. People were converted and a church was birthed. That's the way the Holy Spirit operates. It's a genuine model to follow. Be faithful to the preaching of the gospel and watch what God can do. Our letter before us today was written to this church. And to another church called Laodicea. It was a, a circular letter. They would send it to one church, and after they would read it and probably copied, it, they would send it to another one. This was done around AD 62. This is probably five to eight years after Paul had preached in Ephesus. Ephesus was probably about 100 miles away. And this man heard the gospel, he'd bring it back. Maybe five, six, seven years later, it's still a young church. The church is planted on Christ, but it's not strong enough to go toe-to-toe with the aggressive false teachers that bring in their false philosophy and traditions of men. They were very persuasive in their arguments, very manipulative, This church was established. Please understand that. We will talk about this as we go into the first eight, nine verses next week. But this church was established. They believed in Christ. They turned out of darkness. They were brought into the light. But they were not strong. They were saved. Isn't that the truth of many young Christians? Isn't that a vulnerable time in our young Christian life? You need to be smothered. Smothered by spiritual maturity. This church needed leaders, It needed to be strong. False teachers have infiltrated maybe just one gentleman, but they were weak. They were weak in the true understanding on how to remain faithful, and this is important, how to remain faithful in doctrine and in character. Because if you miss it on a doctrine, I can guarantee you, you will miss it on the character. If you really don't understand, if I don't understand who Christ is and teach him, properly uh, exhort him and expound on who Christ is and understand something, our doctrine will be faulty and we will produce a faulty people with faulty character. Ethics, and morality will fall by the wayside. It depends on our understanding of Christ. We'll find that out as we go through this book. You can fake it. But you won't make it long enough. If you're going to try to live in this culture and live holy, God's not asking you to be good. Any religion can teach goodness, but only Christianity can teach holiness. That's dying to sin. That's living for God. That's saying no when a thousand people around you are screaming yes. That's when the whole culture is going to the north. And you are walking to the south. You are going downstream. You are going against the current. You're going against the culture. You're going against friends. You're going against family. You're going against religious people. You're going against them all. You say, I don't care what you say. I'm living for Jesus. That's holiness. And only God can do that. And that's what God expects. And we need to be built up in that. That's Christian morality. That's Christian ethics. It's called piety. So Paul is writing so that they be strong in their fight against heresy. And the negative pull of the culture that surrounded this church. Paul wrote this letter while he was in Rome. He was under house arrest. It was probably close to the time of his death. He's probably going to die within anywhere between two, three, or maybe four years at the most. It was while he was here that this man, Epaphras, that Paul calls a faithful minister, came to Paul with an update of the spiritual, spiritual condition of the church. He came to inform Paul. He was concerned. Uh, it must have been a serious and grievous situation. This church was 1,000 miles away from Rome. This man walked a thousand miles with a letter to Paul saying, Paul, we are in such bad shape. I have to see you. Paul wasn't there. He didn't fly into Rome one day. You know, take JetBlue, watch a movie. And while he was there, go to jail to see Paul in his house arrest. Oh, say, so how's the ch- Well, you know, we, can, we need a little help, Paul. You know, we're doing okay, but the false teachers are coming in. They're into immorality. They're into all this kind of stuff. And while I was here, I figured I'd seek you out. No. By foot. A thousand miles. And then a thousand back. That's a faithful minister. This man is no hireling. When things got tough, he didn't say a thousand miles ago, see, Paul, I'm going to the beach today. I'm going to rest a little bit. No, this man labored because he loved God's people. It just goes to show us just how severe this circumstance was. The situation was that bad. And God loved this church. And understand something, this place called Colossia, or Colis, don't we believe it, uh, the way we can pronounce it, understand, it was a nothing agricultural city. It, the heyday was over. It was, it was a nothing city. It, it, it had nothing to offer. No commerce, no economics. Uh, a, a small agriculture, a small sheep herding farming community. It was a rural little town. But yet God loved this place. And we should recognize that. Because we think God's in the big and the spectacular. There's only one thing big and spectacular in the eyes of God. And that's when one sinner repents. And the angels in heaven rejoice. That's what God is into. And he will travel. And he will get a man to travel 1,000 miles on foot. To get and hear the report of the apostle to march all the way back because God loved that church. That's how bad the situation was. It's on the verge of being ruined. These false teachers, are probably just one person, probably a, a modern day what we like a, a some kind of shama. You know what I mean, trying to lead people into the spiritual light. They're teaching that elevated food laws and circumcision. And, observing festivals and sabbaths and new moons. Paul sums it up, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Their main interest was not Jesus Christ, but angel worship, aesthetic practices, some kind of harsh treatment of the body, and and fastings, something Paul calls empty deceit and man-made philosophy. And they were teaching this as a way of pleasing God. Pleasing God through traditions of men and empty deceit and false humility, that's self salvation. They were teaching us as continued fellowship with God, that's self sanctification. All along with appeasing certain spiritual agents, some kind of angelic beings that were agents of God that ruled the wind, the rain the fire, the sun. its paganism. Mm-hmm. But it entered into the church and there was still a young church and that's their whole culture. They came out of that. And they were fallen prey to this. Remember, there were persuasive arguments that were persuading the people They were saying, no, Jesus is not good enough. Jesus alone is not good enough. You, you need to and you need to beat your body and you need to cry out to God and you need to do something. Jesus alone is not good enough. These agents, these angelic beings that rule the earth, that you had to appease them so they can control your life, somehow they can govern your life. He calls them in in, in chapter 2, verse 15, That Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them over the cross. That's way of Paul saying that Jesus Christ took down Satan himself at the cross. No one can bring a railing judgment against a Christian. The only one that can bring a judgment against a Christian is God. And he has chosen not to because of Christ. Satan can lie to us all as wants. Religious people can lie, lie to us all they want. They can say all the things they want about us. The only thing that counts is what Christ thinks about us, period. But a young Christian can get caught to and fro and get, and get caught up in this kind of stuff. The objective word the teacher would use is something like, no, you need true wisdom. You need true knowledge. You need true understanding. Epaphras talks about Jesus. Yes, there's room for Jesus, but you need to Fast need to treat your body harsh to overcome the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the prideful possessions of life. Just trusting in Jesus is not going to do it. Faith alone is not good enough. Grace alone is not sufficient enough. In Christ alone, will never do. We know the true light. Epaphras doesn't know what's going on. there. Yeah, he heard Paul. Yeah, he saw Paul. Yeah, he loves Jesus, but it's not enough. And it came, this wisdom, this true wisdom they had, this true knowledge, this true understanding came by the way of esoteric practices where it's only the spiritual elite who have trained their minds to fast and starve themselves and to beat themselves and to whip themselves and and to go through the cold and to go through the elements. And it's in that place where they have these heavenly visions of angels and God speaks to them and they're going to be your guide into the other life. These were the spiritual elite. You needed them, not Christ, to be your spiritual gods. To lead you into the path of deeper enlightenment. If you come out of any kind of New Age background, all all those words would ring a bell to you. Because that's what the New Age gurus say. You need new light. You need to go deeper. We're the spiritual guides. We're the spiritual life coach. That's a new one. Spiritual life coach. I had a gentleman I witnessed to him for years. He went to, I think it was Tony Robbins' uh, seminar. He met there a life coach. This gentleman wasn't doing good before he met this guy. If I can totally tell you how bad it got after. But he came to me one day. He goes, I want to come to church with you and I said alright he kind of came to the men's room he come to church and he sat down and he told me he, goes, and he took out a piece of paper it was a pie you know what a pie is a graph and he goes I need to do so much of volunteer work and then there's so much exercise I need to sleep eight hours a day it's a pie of his week and, and somewhere near was like ten percent of religion and I was the ten percent of the religion he would come here And that that was his encouragement. That was his guide into spirituality. If you do all this, if you can juggle 10% of this and 20% of exercise, eight hours of sleep, and you do work, if you put it all together, you'll be happy. He's miserable. He's self-confessed, confused, and miserable. Every once in a while, I reach out to him, and he's still in bad shape. Because you can't keep that up. That's impossible. You've got to be joking me. But that's what the new gurus tell you. These life coaches, these are, they're high on human optimism. We can do all things. Just go deep within your soul. Well, that might sound crazy, but that's sort of what's going on here 2,000 years ago. Nothing's changed. These past people are masters of lies, hidden in clever arguments that twist and distort biblical passages, to say whatever they want them to say. Argumentative. They could take all the superstitions of the surrounding culture, twist those around to serve their own agenda, and prey on the minds of the naive. And like I said, this might sound crazy, but John and myself and some other people here, we've been around long enough. We've seen this within Christianity. 2,000 years later, and we see this. The deeper things of God. As though just preaching the gospel and living faithful to God is not good enough. You're missing something. You're missing maybe a second baptism. Or maybe you're missing the fullness of the Spirit. Or maybe maybe you're missing speaking in tongues. Or maybe you're missing holy laughter. Or maybe all this kind of stuff. And, and, And the naive are like, well, look at them. They had a vision of an angel. They know something. I sat in a room. With 30 people and a, and a leader from some church who was called the prophet sat there and mesmerized the crowd while he spoke about a friend. He was a friend that saw a mighty angel 20, 30 feet high. And he was relaying this message and, and people were mesmerized by what he said. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It's not good enough just to love Christ and obey him. The first and second commandment they are not just good enough no more. You gotta got make something happen. And to do that, you gotta follow them because they know the right way. They know true wisdom, not the Apostle Paul. They know true knowledge, not the Apostle John. They know the true light, not Jesus. It's there, it's in the church. Jesus, along with Paul, teach that a little a little leaven what? Spoils the whole lump. It doesn't take much. The knew that. And as soon as he saw it, he marched a thousand miles to speak to the apostle and a thousand back, because he knew that this kind of teaching left unchecked would ruin people's souls. This teaching found a beachhead in this church. It's always that way with the young. An uninformed believer who's at risk. People come with persuasion. You'll be surprised. All of a sudden you become a Christian. Everybody's talking to you about God. Tell somebody you believe in Jesus and you'll hear a thousand opinions about Christ. A thousand opinions. about Everybody's a theologian all of a sudden. They come out of the woodwork. My mother, I love my mother. I told my mother, me and Terry found Jesus. We're Christians. Why did you leave the religion, she said? My mother never went to church a day of her life. Never. Besides the rest of our family. Attacked us viciously for leaving the faith that they don't even believe in. Unbelievable. We laugh at it. but (laughs) Praise God, my mother came to know the Lord. She she came to know the Lord. She simply came. But at first, people attack. That's what's happening to this church. They're being attacked. Listen to Paul in Romans 16, as we bring this to a close. He says in Romans 16:17 and 18, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, Paul says, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naïve. You think the word naive means stupid. It's a negative connotation, but it does. It means innocent. It means innocent. Those who are innocent, they come. They just love Jesus. I love Jesus. They're happy. They're saved. It's real, but they're not not built up yet. They're established. They know Christ is the way, but they're young in their mind. They don't understand doctrine. They don't understand how this all works, and that we live in spiritual warfare 24-7 every day of the week. Every day. A young believer, an innocent believer, doesn't understand that Satan can use people, friends, family members, use the opposite sex. Satan can use anything and everything. It's all at his disposal. It's into this climate that Paul wrote to correct these wrongs within these four four short chapters, and they are prayerfully. You'll study them and read them and reread them. Paul wages war against all opponents of Christ in his church. And he's armed only with one thing. A high view of Christ. That's it. There's no emotional appeal. There is no threat. There is no yelling. There's no finger pointing. As we go through this book, you're going to see him lift up Christ. Christ. In ways magnificent to the soul. That's the answer. The letter is constructed like this. It's a rough outline of the book. In chapter one, we have Paul's greeting. It moves on to Paul's fervent prayer for this church, Paul's teaching on the supremacy of Christ over creation and redemption, Paul's own stewardship of the gospel. Chapter 2 is a dismantlement of the false teacher's practice and their character by expounding on the finished work and accomplished work of Christ compared to the false humility of the false teachers. Chapter 3 is the believer's true identity in Christ with its application in this earth morally, domestically, socially, ethically, and spiritually. And chapter four is a general exhortation to prayer and good witness and personal concerns for the people inside the church. As we close, we do some application. Just on the introduction. Most young Christians have to go through the baptism of fire from all the spiritual opponents that seem to come out of nowhere. Do you remember how Adam and Eve were deceived. Did Satan come as a monster? Did he come 30, 40 feet tall? Did he have fangs and a pitchfork and a little tail? Satan came, by the way, to stink, but he came as an innocent bystander. Oh, by the way, did God say, you shall not eat or you will die? Did he really say that? He throws doubt. He gets us to question. That's how he works. He always works on the young. As pastors, we know that young Christians need fellowship. They need teaching. They need to be saturated in the truth. Most young Christians, not all, but most young Christians have to go through some kind of baptism of fun. We have a couple that are going to college, and I want you to know we've been praying for you, and, and college can be very hostile to the Christian faith. Very hostile. The extreme liberal professors denouncing anything God, never mind Christian. You've got to be prepared for that. They have their plausible, deceitful arguments. But when you're strong in Christ... Oh, the beauty of being strong in Christ. I would trade nothing in for Christ. I would put Christ against every philosophy, every religion ever mentioned on this earth. Because everything outside of Christ means you have to work your way into heaven. And I can simply say, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I would put Christ against anything at all. As a young believer, I was scared. I don't know if I could have said that. I can clearly sit down with any man, I believe, and just say, no, Christ is the only way. Simple as that. Christ is the only way. Second one is on our application. Whoever and wherever the will of God, remember, Paul is praying that they come to the full knowledge of what? The will of God. Wherever the full knowledge of the will of God is still unknown, you can rest assured that trouble is right behind. You can rest assured. You are not going to feel your way through this world and honor God without understanding and growing in the grace of God and an understanding of His will. You won't. None of us can. Number three the only way to rid the church of worldly teachings as the colossians fell into is reevaluate christ we need to reexamine we need to reinvestigate we need to learn again and again and again the awesome nature of christ and redemption and creation and to elevate him in his proper place in the hearts of god's people that's the only answer to rid the church of worldly teachings you don't go toe to toe you just elevate christ so, Speaking to someone not too long ago, they were telling me they were invited to a church that sort of, we would say have a very low view of Christ. And they were asked to speak, and when they spoke, they came up to him later on and said, we haven't heard something like that in a long time. But something to those words. They were fed. They were fed. Because the minister spoke on Christ. He's the Word of God. No cunning, no craftiness. No, let's not stir up the crowd so you come back next week. Listen, if i got to stir you up to come back next week, I'll burn out. I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't do magic tricks. I can't do that. But I have Christ. If He's not good enough, nothing will ever be. And the only way for a church to start and remain pure is first and foremost to build on nothing else than Christ and his righteousness. Paul says, I laid no other foundation but this, Jesus Christ. That's it. There's nothing we have to do week in and week out in this church, but to be faithful to Christ. He'll meet your need. He'll meet your heart. He'll strengthen you. He'll love you, he'll nurture you, he'll forgive you. And as the years and the years of our salvation go on and we grow up and we understand this magnificent Lord that we served, no wind, no wave of doctrine is going to make us to be tossed to and fro. We'll be able to go toe to toe with every philosopher, every professor, every king, every prince, every boss, every family member, and simply tell them, without Christ, I am nothing. Father, we thank you. We thank you as we step in to investigate Paul's writing to the Colossians on how incredibly awesome our Savior is. I pray that all of us, even as a church, we just come afresh to reexamine the nature of Christ, his omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, his divine, infinite wisdom, his love and his mercy and his grace. I pray, O oh God, that as a church, we fall in love again with Jesus Christ, the King. In Jesus' name I pray.